In 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, we'll read the last three verses, starting at verse 23. Now remember, this is right after he's healed some uh, the waters at Jericho that were barren. And uh, it says uh, in tw uh, the 23rd verse of 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and he was going up by the way. There came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bearers out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel and from thence he returned to Samaria. Some odd scripture uh, here, here uh, within, within the Bible. Some odd scripture in God's word. Uh, but we have to understand uh, some things uh, about the scripture in order to understand uh, exactly why this took place here. Uh, none of us like the thought of, uh, of, of anyone looking at uh, little children as the scripture puts it. Now folks, this could have been uh, anyone from a five-year-old up on to a 20-year-old that it could have been. I ain't saying that they were all uh, tiny kids. I'm not saying that they weren't. The scripture isn't really plain in that but they were young people that came out of the city out of what city it says that he was on his way up to Bethel and when he uh, when he approached Bethel when he came up uh, under Bethel it says there came little children out of the city and they were mocking Elisha and they said go up thou bald head go up thou bald head I don't know if he was just naturally balding I don't know if he had shaved his head for some reason I don't know why they were saying in this particular thing in the scripture does not anywhere tell us why they were saying this but they were insulting the man of God as he was going up unto Bethel folks why was he going unto Bethel that's the way that he was led to go what's significant about Bethel folks uh, the, the place of Bethel was a place that had God's very name placed upon it if you go over to the book of Genesis and you read the account of Jacob when when Isaac and Rebekah sent him unto Paden Aram, uh, Jacob, the very first place that he rested was a place called Bethel. It's a place that he named Bethel. This is the place where he had the vision of what we call Jacob's ladder when he laid his head down to rest upon a stone and he had the vision, had the dream of the angels ascending and descending unto earth uh, from the heavens. This is where this happened and when he arose he said surely God must be in this place I will call this place Bethel, Bethel meaning the house of God he was going, Elisha here was going to Bethel a place that had been called the house of God, a place that was meant to be a place of God a place of worship a place where God's people could go and worship the one true and living Jehovah Jehovah God. Here's Elisha going up to this city that's called the house of God. The house of God. Now, what had happened to this city? What had happened to this city? You read, you read over uh, in the same chapter, you read one of the places that, uh, that Elijah and Elisha went to visit the sons of the prophets was a city called Jericho. We'll get into that a little bit more tonight, Lord willing. 
But that was a city called Jericho. Jericho, when it fell, Joshua placed a curse on that city. Actually, not on the city. Let me take that back. He placed a curse on the man that would rebuild that city. You turn over to Joshua chapter 6 and you'll read that curse right after the walls came in and right after they went in and, and, and they spoiled it and they killed people and they, they, they done everything that they were supposed to do in their conquest of the promised land. Right at the end of chapter 6, right towards the end of it, Joshua pronounces the curse. He says the man that, that lays the foundation of this city will do it at the cost of his firstborn son and the man that, that hangs the gates of this city will do it at the cost of his youngest son. And you turn back over into 1 Kings chapter 16, you'll see a man that was named Hill. He was a Bethelite and he came and he's the one that laid the foundations of Jericho. He's the one that hung the gates of Jericho and he done it at the cost of his own children, of his oldest and his youngest child. Here we see in this same chapter, chapter 2 of 2 Kings, we see a town called Jericho that never should have been there. Both the people of God were falling away from God. The people in Bethel had fallen away from Bethel. It was a man named Jeroboam's fault that that was going on when Jeroboam took over the northern kingdom. He had a golden calf set in Dan and he had one set in a town called Bethel. They had fallen away. They were apostate from the things of God. They didn't care about God. These little children that the scripture here describes, they came out, but they, I don't think, if they were little children, as the scripture says, they would have simply been repeating what they heard their parents say, what they heard their parents wish for. Why were they saying, go up thou bald head, go up. Hey, do you not think that the word had traveled what had happened to Elijah, that he had been called up? into the heavens. These people did not want Elisha there. They didn't want the man of God there. They didn't want the word of God preached in their town. That's why they were saying, go up. Go up. You go up like Elijah did. We don't want you here. Go up. They weren't saying go on up into the town. They wasn't saying that at all. They were saying, go up like Elijah did. We don't want you here. We don't want your prophecies. We don't want your help. We don't want the word. And we don't want your God. That's what the people in this town of Bethel were saying. You turn over to Hosea chapter 5. You'll see where Bethel was called Bethaven. You know what Bethaven is? That's the town of idols. That's the town of idols. And it's the same place. The, the, the house of the Lord had turned into the house of idols. That's why they were screaming this. They were content with what they had. They were content with their many gods. With their many gods that they had absorbed in through the beliefs of those pagans that lived around them. They were content with those things. They were perfectly happy and they didn't want the things of God. And you can't continue reading. It says, and he turned back and looked on them and cursed them. Not only did he curse them, it says he cursed them in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, Elisha, God's man, cursed these little children that came out. And two she-bears came out of the wood and killed 42 of these little children that came out of the town of Bethel. People say, my 
God, that's cruel. My goodness, what was God thinking? My goodness, what kind of God would allow that? I'll tell you what kind of God would allow that. The same kind of God that will flood an entire world and kill everyone but eight people in it. The same God that will rain fire and brimstone from the heavens and destroy the cities of the plain. The same God that will open up the ground to swallow up the tribe of Korah. The same God that did those things is the same God that will send two bears out of the wood to kill children of Bethel. And we have no right to question it. We have no right whatsoever to question it. God is just in everything that He does. God is just and He is righteous in everything that He does. It says that Elisha looked back on these little children that came out of the town of Bethel and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Folks, if he had cursed them of himself, nothing would have ever come of it. You know what else though? If these children had been out playing out amongst the town, on the outskirts of the town, if they just been out there having themselves a ball and two bears had come out of the woods and rent 40 and two of them in twain. It would have been seen as a travesty. It would have been seen as a horrific thing. But this was a man of God that cursed them in the name of God, in the name of the Lord. This was done as judgment on the people at Bethel that they might know who the God of Elijah that's why it was done why do we get sick why is there death why is there problems why are there things that go on Roger told about it this morning in Sunday school why do we have these things because of sin it's because of sin that we have these things I ain't saying that I've got the disease that I do, that I've got the eye problems that I do, that I've got the heart problems that I do because of particular sins that I have in my life. God don't punish like that. Sin is sin is sin. When sin stepped in in the garden, that's when sickness came in. That's when heartache came in. That's when sadness came in. That's when everything else that is bad came into this world. God created a world that was absolutely perfect at the end of the sixth day the Bible says that God looked down on everything that he had created and he saw that everything was good if there had been anything bad here God couldn't have said that God couldn't have said everything is good everything was perfect including Adam including Eve including the garden including the climate including everything but sin creeped in and that's why we have these things. These people at Bethel, it had been slowly coming and slowly coming. Like I said, you turn over to 1 Kings, you'll read about a king that was actually the first king that the northern kingdom had after the split of the two of, the, uh, of Israel into the northern and the southern kingdoms. But you read about a man named Jeroboam. He didn't want his people, the people over his, under his rule, he didn't want them going to Jerusalem to worship. Why was that? You read about it in First Kings. He didn't want them going there because they would they would fall over to that king, over to Rehoboam. 
They would go over to him and he said, my people will kill me because they're going to Jerusalem. He says, they'll be turned against me. They'll fall in love with this other king. So what's he do? He sets up idols. He sets up one in Dan and he sets up one uh, in Bethel. And he sets up golden calves as idols. He says, now my people can go somewhere and worship. And they don't have to go to the southern kingdom. They don't have to go to Jerusalem. They don't have to even pass through that land. They can, and they'll be in close quarters no matter where they're at in my kingdom. They'll be in close quarters for a place to go and worship. And the people loved it. Shame on those people. Shame on those folks for not having any more understanding of the Word of God and to do those things for not having any more understanding of Exodus chapter 20 and the very first commandment of thou of the love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, and all thy strength, and the second commandment not to make any graven images. These people should have known that. But no, a king led them astray. A king led them astray. Turn to Micah chapter 1 sometime. You'll see judgment pronounced against Jerusalem and against Samaria and against the capital cities of the two kingdoms. Not the kings themselves and not the, not the kingdoms themselves, but the capital cities of those. Why? Because that's where the commands came from. That's where, the, that's, where, uh, that's where the influence came from. And the capital cities is where the head honchos of those lands lived at. That's where they dwelled. That's where their laws were made. That's where laws were given. That's where rules were made. That's where rules were broken. That's where the people got most of their influence from was the capital cities. And judgment was pronounced on those capital cities and on the kings and on the princes and on those people who should have known better, those people that did know better, that they knew they were supposed to lead the people of God in the right direction on the street and the narrow way, but they chose not to. Judgment was pronounced on them. Judgment was pronounced on Bethel for the exact same thing because they had allowed idolatry in. They had allowed this play, this uh, pollution of the house of the Lord. Amen. That's why this happened. Not because God got amusement out of it. Not because Elisha wanted it. They were making fun of Elisha. Now listen, I've heard this scripture here used in the pulpit, basically in a striking manner, toward the congregation, you leave the man of God alone, or God might send two she-bears after you. Yeah. I've heard it used that way. That ain't the lesson here at all. There is no lesson even close to that in this. This is a lesson for apostasy. This is a lesson. Like I said, the people in Bethel, they had fallen away from God. And God was using this as judgment. Folks, this is judgment uh, against the folks of Bethel. It was judgment not only against these children. It was judgment against their parents and their parents before them. It was judgment for the inhabitants of the town. And it was a proclamation of Almighty God. You need to come back to me. You need to turn back towards my way. You need to seek out the old path. And when you find them, you need to walk therein. This was God screaming at Bethel. This was God pleading with Bethel. Come back to your maker. That's what this was. It wasn't something just violent in the middle of the pages of scriptures. You want a violent book, read it and read Judges. That's a violent book. But it had purpose too. This wasn't this wasn't to turn people's stomachs. 
This wasn't to turn people against God. This was to bring people back to God. How in the world could that bring somebody to God? Knowing that God, hey, listen, Elisha didn't have that power in and of itself. It had to have been God that sent those two bears out of the wood. And it had to be God. And, and the thing is, we don't know how many children might have escaped. It might have killed all 42 if that's all there was out there. It might have maimed, if that's all it was there, it maimed every single one of them. There might have been 200 of them to escape if there was 242. We don't know. But I guarantee you that if there were some that escaped, there were some that ran back to the town. They went unto Bethel. They went to their parents. They went to their grandparents, their aunts, and their uncles. They went to everybody. They said, the man of God, Elisha, he was walking along the way. And me and my buddies were out there, and we started making fun of him. He turned around and cursed us. In the name of the Lord, and the Lord sent sheep bears out of the wood, and it killed our friends, it killed our buddies, it killed brothers, sisters, whomever. God did this as judgment. Amen. Don't you think that there wasn't someone that survived? Oh, yeah. That wasn't the story that they told. Mm. How bad do you think the bellies of those parents would have dropped? How bad do you think? Or how far up into your, their throat do you think their heart came yeah. when they heard those words? Knowing what idolaters, what idolaters they were. <clears throat> Knowing that they had fallen right along with Jeroboam, right on through the through the other kings. Right, They had followed right along with worshiping not only a golden calf some years before, but of worshiping other idols as they were now. Folks, it was a horrible situation that God had to bring attention to. And it wasn't to necessarily to punish. It was to bring people back to Him. It was to bring people to Him. Why do you think sometimes somebody that you've been praying for for 20 or 30 years, uh, somebody, somebody that you know good and well has lost them without God? Why do you think they wind up in the hospital? Why do they have freak accidents? Why do these things happen to them? Hey, it might just be God's last opportunity for them to seek righteousness and to seek happiness and to seek salvation that they can only have in him. It's a plea. It's a plea from God to do these things. Every time. <clears throat> every time. Not to mention, folks, this was prophecy being fulfilled. There's prophecy over in the book of Leviticus that talks about this. In Leviticus and Numbers both. It talks about the people when they walk from the ways of God. God will send the wild beasts. Upon their families and upon their children specifically. This was prophecy being fulfilled. Hundred, hundreds of years before this ever happened, it was spoken that it would happen. But it was only if the people strayed. The people had strayed. And God, instead of picking them up and kicking them to the curb, God said, I need to bring you back. And if it's a, at, the, at the cost of some of your children... So be it. If it's at the cost of sons and daughters, so be it. Folks, that sounds cruel and it sounds inhumane, but we're talking about lost souls here. We're talking about people. We're talking about souls. We're talking about uh, persons that we know that are on their way to a literal hell and they will literally burn there forever. There is no cost too great to get the gospel out there. There is no cost too great to get a soul saved. There is no cost too great to do these things. Hallelujah. 
The cost, the greatest part, the cost has done been paid. Through Jesus Christ. It's already been paid. God gave rules over in the Old Testament. Do these things and you'll be blessed. Don't do these things and you'll be cursed. And you don't find that in Exodus 20. You find a lot of it over in Deuteronomy. Why was that? Deuteronomy was for the second generation. The first generation died off in the wilderness. Because God told them in the book of Numbers that would happen. He said, you're not getting in. Folks, that was judgment. That was the same type of judgment that we're reading about here. It was judgment of a holy and a just and a righteous God. When those people murmured and they complained, when Joshua and Caleb and the other ten went over into the promised land and they spied out the land and they came back and Joshua and Caleb were like, we can do this. We can take this land because the Lord is on our side. But the other ten were said, oh no, those sons there are too great for us. We'll never be able to take it. The people listen to the majority. Uh-huh. And it got everyone in Israel in trouble. Yeah. Except for Joshua and Caleb. Because they were the only ones that believed. They were the only ones that believed. God is with us. God has promised us this. He promised this to us. God promised this to Abraham and it has descended unto us. This is our land that God has said we will take. And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that made it into the promised land of the original tribe of Judah. Everyone else, 20 years and older, perished in the wilderness. God told them, He said, Your carcasses will rot in this wilderness. That was judgment. It was judgment because of their unbelief. It was judgment because of their apostasy. It was judgment because just like so many other times we read throughout the Scriptures, they would follow God. Things would go wrong. They would stray from God. Things would continue wrong. They would cry to God. God would hear in His mercy and His compassion and God would come back and deliver them. It is a sick. It is a symbol. It is a cycle all the way through the Scriptures. Folks, we've got to be careful. Judgment's coming on this world. Judgment's already here to an extent. But it is coming on this world. The trumpet's sounded. The trumpet's been sounding for 2,000 years now. Judgment is coming. In the Old Testament, you read about the end of the world judgments, but those people did not understand that that was the end of the time. They didn't understand the Messiah. They didn't understand that there would be a time or a span after the Messiah. They didn't understand any of these things. But the Bible, we have it in its completeness, and we have it uh, in its infallibility, and the Bible explains that it will come at a day and a time and an hour that we do not expect the Son of Man will step out on the clouds to receive His people up unto Himself and then the times of tribulation will begin. And that's just a taste of the judgment that's coming. Judgment's coming, folks. It's all throughout the Scripture. David and Bathsheba had an affair. We all know that. Instigated by David. God judged that. Bathsheba got pregnant. She had a baby. What happened? The baby died. That baby died. That was judgment. But what did it cause? What did it cause? Hey, David, hey, he mourned for that baby. He fasted for that baby. They knew it was sick. They knew that his chances were slim to none. And when the baby died and the servants told David, what did it cause David to do? Yes, he mourned for a little while, but it caused him to rise up, get himself dressed, and go up unto the house of God to worship. It was done to bring David back to God. 
God took a child yeah. to bring David, bring his own, bring the one that the Bible said <coughs> that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. Uh-huh. That was done. He took a child of David to bring him back to him, to bring him back to God. What will God do in our lives? What will He do if you go astray? What will he take? I've said many times, be careful what you put above God. Be careful what you put above your worship. Be careful putting your children above him. Because God can remove those excuses out of the way. God can and will take those, take those excuses where you are left with nothing to, to say besides, God, I'm sorry. You're left with a penitent attitude like David had. God had to take one of his children to bring him back to him. But it worked. And he done that because David was his. David was off in the wrong direction. David understood that after the prophet Nathan come to him and he told him of these things. David understood it all. But God still had to get to David. He still had to bring David unto himself. And he took a child to do it. Don't let yourself get in that kind of shape. Don't let yourself get in an apostate condition like the people of Bethel were, like David was. You flip on over to the New Testament. There's judgment given there too. You read over in the book of Acts. There was a piece of property sold by Ananias and Sapphira. There was a piece of property sold by them. And they kept part of the proceeds back for themselves. What happened? They both died. They both died. The husband died as they were carrying him out, or they carried him out. And then the wife came in. They said, hey, even as your husband was, it's going to be the same way under you. And she died there at the door. Hey, folks, they carried her out and buried her well as well. That was the judgment of a holy and a righteous God coming down on people for lying to the Spirit. got to be careful. Be careful what excuses we use. Folks, these people in Bethel, in a land that Jacob, their father, of course, Jacob descended from Isaac, Isaac descended from Abraham, I understand all that, but the 12 tribes descended from Jacob, the 12 original tribes. Their father had named that very land, and he named it Bethel because he said, this is the house of the Lord. And God changes the name of it. You flip over just just uh, several books over to Hosea chapter 5, and the name was changed to Bethaven, the house of idols. The house of idols. And that's why God was so upset with Israel. That's why he was upset with them in Hosea. That's why he was upset with them in Micah. And all these other books that we read about. God was upset with his people. But praise God. Even though he gets upset with us. You know why? It's because we're his children. And we know how we should act. We know how we should do. We know how we should pray. And everything else. And we don't do it. That's why God gets upset. Because we know better. We know better. And we still don't do it. You read Ezekiel 16. I know I preached on it here a long time ago. Ezekiel 16 is one of the greatest pictures of Israel's state. But it's also a good picture of the church's state. God found Israel. Found her over in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Tossed like a child that somebody didn't want. Mm-hmm. A newborn baby. He said, when I, when I walked upon thee, and when I found thee, thou was polluted in thine own blood. And I said unto thee, live. 
I said unto thee, live. And he done that for, for Israel. He done that for his people, his chosen people, the apple of his eye. He picked her up. He cleaned her off. He said, I adorned you with the garments that you needed. I decked you out. You was looking pretty. You smelled better. You looked better. And what did you do? Just a few verses after that, he compares Israel to an imperious, whorish woman. Because Israel didn't appreciate what he did. How much does the church appreciate what he's done? I ain't talking about our little assembly here. I'm talking about the church as a whole. How much do we appreciate salvation? How much do we appreciate that Jesus Christ hung on a cross for six hours for your sin and for mine? He took what you deserve. He took what I deserve. He took what we deserve. He took the beating. He took the mockery. He took it all on your behalf. Why don't we appreciate it like we should? Shame on us. Shame on me. Shame on me. When the Bible plainly says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Yeah. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's why he came. Because we had gone astray. And he had to rustle us back in. He had to bring us to the fold. And he had to make a doorway into that fold, folks. The door was shut. There was no door before Jesus Christ came. There was no way into salvation. Yes, there was a paradise. And yes, there was belief that could get us right with God. There was faith that could get us right with God. But there was no door to eternal salvation before Jesus Christ. He made that door. The fold was completely enclosed. And when he came in, there was a door made. That's why he said... Anybody that tries to get in any other way is a thief and a robber. They will not get in that way. God will boot them out. <clears throat> Judgment's coming. There's another parable spoken in the New Testament. Jesus speaks it of the, the ten virgins. We're probably all pretty familiar with that one. Five of them had a hole in their lamps, which were trimmed. They were ready to go. And five of them didn't. It says they took their lamps with them, but their vessels had no oil. Had no oil. And when the cry came out, they went to meet the bridegroom. And those that were without the oil, they asked the ones with the oil. And they had trimmed their lamps and made themselves ready. They said, let us borrow of your oil. They said, we can't do that. Must there not be enough for ourselves and for you? Go instead to those that sail. Go out. And while they were gone, what happened? The bridegroom came. The bridegroom came while they were unaware. The bridegroom came while they were preoccupied with something else. The bridegroom came while they had whatever it was above God of, uh, uh, in front of them instead of Almighty God Himself. And when the when the bridegroom came, He took the five that were ready, the five that had the oil in their lamps and their wicks trimmed. They went inside where the marriage was to take place. The door was shut. And those that were not ready, they showed up and they said, Lord, let us in. They knocked on the door and they pleaded and the Lord said, I know you not. That's horrible words, folks. That's horrible words. Now you keep in mind, there were ten virgins. Mm -hmm. There were ten clean, ten pure, ten ten virgins. Never, Never laid with a man. They were pure. All ten of them. Folks, there's going to be a lot of people hear those words come judgment day. 
There's going to be a lot of people who say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out devils in your name? Lord, Lord, did I not do marvelous works in thy name? Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Lord, Lord, did I not do that? And those virgins that were beating on the door saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. They were screaming the thing. They were calling him Lord. They were treating him as Lord. They chased him as Lord. But he said, I know you not. There's going to be a lot of people hear that. And it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought of the people who are going to hear that. And it's not, and y'all have heard me say it before. He didn't say, I knew you two years ago, but now I don't. Uh-huh. I knew you 20 years ago when you first got saved, but now I don't. He said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. <clears throat> so we won't be able to throw up our good works into God's yeah. face. If you think that's going to happen, think again. <clears throat> he turned and cursed them in the name of the Lord. There came forth two sheep bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. Now listen. It doesn't say it killed them. No. It says it tear them. <clears throat> Were they dead? I don't know. But I guarantee you, there were some that had some marks on them. There were some that had evidence. That God had gotten a hold of them. That these bears had gotten a hold of them. That God had gotten a hold of them through these bears. They had evidence. So when the children were running back to the town and they were screaming, hey, guess what happened? And then these others that may have survived, that may have gotten torn, come into the town, they saw the evidence that God had been afoot. They saw the evidence that God had had sent these bears and they heard the evidence that there was a prophet of God that spoke a curse on them in the name of the Lord. I guarantee you everybody in that town had aerial ears. Yeah. Well they had they had they had spiritual radar on at that point because they knew God was in their presence. They knew that God knew what they was doing. They knew that God had seen every idol they had worshipped, had seen every stone figurine, every wooden figurine. They had seen the incense burning on the false altars. They had seen them burning in the high places and in the groves, the places that God specifically told them not to worship Him. They knew that God had had eyes on them for all that time. The evidence was there, hey folks. The evidence is all around us not only in nature the evidence is in you if you've been born again for all those around you that are lost if you've been born again you don't act like you once did you don't talk like you once did you don't dress like you once did you don't do anything like you once did because you are a new creature in Christ Jesus and the spirit will guide you in those things if the evidence ain't there ain't nobody going to believe you Either that, or you're going to drag them right into hell with you. Say, well, if they're acting this way and they're saved, being saved ain't that bad. I can go out and party. I can drink. I can do dope. Because they are. Tell you what one of the saddest thoughts is. Is the amount (coughs) of parents that are going to drag their children into hell with them. Because of, now listen, I understand it's an individual choice. I, I get that. I, I do. But what do children do? What do I say about these if they were little children? 
they were mimicking what their parents had said. Oh, yeah. They were repeating what their parents said. Mm -hmm. Children do what their parents do. Yeah. And when parents ignore the house of God, when parents ignore the word of God, mm -hmm. when parents ignore God in general, and when, when they have no influence like that, those parents are leading those children down the road of destruction. They will enter in through that wide through the wide gate, which leads to destruction, folks. Like I said, I know it's an individual choice, but the more of laxness that we see and the more of laziness that we see, the more of these things that we witness in our lives, the less likely we are to be, uh, to be sensitive to the Spirit when He comes our way. The more uh, anxious we will be to get out from underneath the preaching of God, the more or the less conviction we will feel when we hear the preaching of the Word of God if our parents never showed it to us. Yeah. That's why I tell parents, you raise a child in church. Yeah. Raise a child in church. Now, another sad thing, when <coughs> we Went to Bones Creek. We used to do visiting once every couple of weeks. I couldn't believe the houses that I went to. And parents would say, do you have a bus that runs? Do you have a van that runs? I'd like for my children to go to church. Exactly. What about you? I'll be fine. I just want to make sure my children know the Lord. You know what those people that thought that? And I had that thought, you know what they were thinking? That'll get me a check mark next to my name in heaven. God will look on that. God will say, well, he cared enough about his kids to get him in the church. I'll let him in too. That ain't how God works, folks. God don't work like that. God, God won't even get those children into heaven on the merits of going to church. No. And he won't get me into heaven on the merits of going to church or on preaching or on singing or anything else. I'll get in by the merits of Jesus Christ that he worked on a cross for me at Calvary. And that is the only merit that I will ever enter heaven in. These folks here, I don't know what merits they were depending on. I don't know what gods they were worshiping. But they were not worshiping the true and the living God that Elisha worshipped, that Elisha ministered for. They were not worshiping the same God and God had to send judgment in order to prove himself. And to bring his own people right. back to him. Folks, be careful. Mm -hmm. Be careful what we put above God. Yeah. Be, be careful what we put in front of God. Mm -hmm. Sickness might come. Yeah. It might come. It's come to me. It's come to everybody in here at one point or another. And we think, my goodness, what I would give for this sickness to be gone. What I would give if my eyes wasn't in this kind of shape. Be careful. God can take them eyes from you. Yeah. You start using it as an excuse to get out of church, get out of worship, and get out of reading. God can take anything he wants to to make sure that his child is where they're supposed to be. And when God does those, does those things, it'll, it'll, it'll only have one of two different outcomes. It'll either draw you in closer to God or you depend on his, uh, on his health and his vision and his hearing and his leadership and everything else about him or it'll push you further away from God or you're not depending on anything to do with God and then the chastisement of God gets that much tougher in your life. Hey folks, I would rather have God bring me in and God humble me as me to get so far out in the world that God had to put me flat on my back, take my sight, my hearing, and everything else about me just to bring me back to Him. Amen. That don't sound like much of a life to live. Though. So, we stay, we stay in line 
And the only way we can do that is through the Spirit. Mm -hmm. You can't do it yourself. <laughs> you cannot do it yourself. These people had gotten way out of line with God. They had strayed far from God, and God pronounced judgment. Mm 